All right. First uh, Peter chapter three. Tonight we're continuing our study through First Peter. Tonight is in chapter three. First Peter chapter three. So tonight uh, we're gonna. F- we're going to go through, uh, my goal is to first remind us of the context of uh, what it is we're talking about. Um, Peter says some things here that uh, could, could be taken a certain way where he's not, which is not in the intention. And so I'm going to go over in the beginning of uh, what Peter is not saying in these verses. And um, our verses tonight are 9, uh, verse 9 through 12 in chapter 3 of 1 Peter um, so first I'm going to go over what he's not saying in these verses, and then I'm going to go over what I uh, believe he is saying, and, uh, and then I'll wrap it up with some closing exhortation uh, for us, and that'll be our night. But let's pray before we read God's word. Lord, we're grateful that you have given us your word. You are a perfect and righteous and holy Uh, God, and you've commanded your people to uh, obey you, to heed your voice, to honor you, to respect you. You've commanded all uh, creation that you've created to bow down to you and serve you and you only. And we have all rebelled. You've been so gracious to us. Uh, I pray that we would worship you tonight for your grace, for your mercy in sending your Son, and that we be urged to obey, urged to delight more in you, and urged to love and worship you uh, as the creator of all things. We thank you, we love you, in your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start in verse 8 in chapter 3, and I'm going to read through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So I want to remind us of the context of what's happening here. And Peter is writing, is the author of this letter, and he's writing to suffering Christians. He's writing to um, arguably some new Christians and their suffering persecution uh, the list goes on and on and on of the persecution, the beatings, prison, even slanderous talk to uh, being, they're being called, you're being slandered. And, and we discussed in the very beginning how the audience, it, how this still applies to us, even in the midst of some of us maybe suffering slander or our brothers and sisters across, across the world are suffering um, more physical persecution like beatings and imprisonments and um, even being put to death in some places. And 
we understand that Peter, when he's writing to suffering Christians, they're going through various trials. And oftentimes when the Bible refers to trials that Christians are going through, uh, we see that it's temptation to sin. And it's the suffering of the Christian life that is more of the spiritual warfare in the battle a lot of times. And that is certainly what all Christians can relate to. The daily warfare of killing the flesh and living for Christ, living for God, crucifying the flesh, living righteous and holy lives, um, and just fighting the warfare of our faith. And so we have to keep that in context. And then even in the more specific context, the last uh, five weeks or so, or more, uh, we've been going through, Peter has been giving us specific instruction in submission to authorities, uh, submission to um, uh, servants being submissive to their um, masters, or in our case, it could be employees to their employer. Whether unjust or not, we are to be submissive to them. So the authorities, the, the bosses in our, in our case, um, wives being submissive to their husbands, and then we had instruction for the husbands uh, to live with our wives in an understanding way and honoring them and treating them well. And Peter has in mind specifically people who are struggling in these relationships. Slaves who are being treated unjustly and being whipped for doing things that are good and all of those things. And then, of course, wives uh, struggling with being submissive to husbands who are abusing their power and all of those things. All of those things are encompassed in what Peter has been talking about. He is uh, writing to suffering Christians. And again, that suffering term is a broad term. It covers all aspects. There is no one um, in here who can say, I'm free from what Peter is talking about. But he's writing to suffering Christians who need encouragement and exhortation. Again, if we have an employee who is suffering under a boss who is unjust, and we are being punished for living righteously, then that is an unjust suffering. And Peter is writing to encourage and exhort them to continue in the faith, continue on, and uh, be strong. And the thing that he always, in the, in the, main, um, the main scope of what Peter is encouraging these people with and, and exhorting them with, is you have a hope for the future. He's talking to Christians. You have a hope for the future. The unbeliever, if, you have pers- if you're suffering persecution from uh, bosses for being a good worker or whatever the case may be, you're not going to get through those types of things as if you have something to look forward to towards the end. If this life is all you're living for, and it's, you're, it's a fool of suffering for un, unjust things, you have nothing to look forward to. This is the, all you've got. This is life. It's definitely going to get worse for you, so this is all you've got. And so, but there's hope for the Christian. In, ver, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 1, we see, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. This is, the, this is the thing. He says, this is how you get through the suffering and the trials of your faith. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the point. He's saying, think about the gift that you have in Christ Jesus, who came, died for you, ransomed you, uh, saved you from your sins and your guilt and shame, and now he's given you an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, um, through God causing us to be born again, as we see in verse 3. But that's the hope that he gives us. Set your hope on the things that are to come to help get you through the now. And he also talks about, uh, and, and, that's, and this is another aspect of tonight's passage especially, but also throughout the letter, is in the midst of the suffering that you're experiencing or the trials of the waging the warfare, 
There is joy, and there is, um, what does he say, joy, love, and peace, and comfort, and all of those things now also. So he's writing to the Christians and saying, listen, here is how you have joy, peace, comfort, uh, enjoyment in God now, and set your hope on the things that are in the future. So while you're struggling, realize that you can en- have full enjoyment in Christ and all those things now and in the future. So it's, a, it's, a, it's um, basically double reward. It's great for now and in the future. And again, we'll see uh, Peter's language in our text tonight is you may obtain a blessing. So we have blessing now and blessing uh, to come. And that's what he's reminding them of so be that they can set their mind and, um, uh, and endure the, the trials and the suffering. But yeah, so that's, that's the context. So the context is he's writing to suffering Christians, giving them uh, things to be hopeful about, giving them things to be, this is the blessing you have now, this is the blessing that is to come. And so in our text, uh, specifically in verse 9, he says, do not repay evil. And he's giving instruction. That's an important thing too. He's giving instruction now. He's been given instruction to everyone, submissive to authorities, uh, subject to your masters, wives, husbands. And now he's giving a, a, a full summation of, here's how you live. Finally, all of you, in verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He's giving instruction. And now he's saying, do not do this. Do not repay evil for evil. So among, in, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the unjust treatment that you're experiencing. Do not repay evil for evil. If someone, you know, we, and you, you, you see in the Gospels, if someone slaps you, turn and give the other cheek also. Someone takes your cloak, you give them your tunic also. Someone gets, in other words, someone took my jacket to give them my shirt also, or whatever the case may be. And so we see common language of that all throughout the scripture. And so he says, do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. So bless them who are doing these things to you. And then he says, for to this you were called. This is similar language that we've seen throughout uh, all of, uh, we'll get into it in a little bit, of the, all the specific references. But, and then he says, but that you may attain a blessing. So what I want to go over, especially in this verse, is what Peter is not saying. Because this can be taken out of context and it can be taken um, to lead to, to serious heresy, to serious um, lies. And so what he's not saying, the first thing he's not saying, there's two things. The first thing he's not saying is he is not saying we can earn our salvation or our blessing by works. So if you see, he says, uh, do not do these things, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing, or in order to obtain a blessing. So at first glance, you think, so we have to do these things, and then we receive the blessing. Or, in other words, we can receive the blessing by our works. And we know that works, uh, and we know that this tension that the Bible has with with these two things, with fruit and works and salvation being by grace alone without works, we know that works and fruit are a result of of salvation, not a means of obtaining it. So we know that when you, when you are saved, the moment you are saved, you are saved by grace alone. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When I, when I spoke, uh, last time I spoke, we talked about in verse 24 of chapter, of chapter 2, he himself bore our sins on, in his body on, a tr- on the tree 
Christ, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He, we've talked about this double imputation. If some of you were here, you'll remember that Christ has taken our sin. He's lived a perfect life. He's taken our sin on himself as bore the penalty for our sin. And then, not only that, a lot of times people stop there. We've been forgiven from sin, and that's it. No, 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 if that was it, then you'd be having to start over, and then you'd just continue the process all over again. But no, he has died and paid for your sin, if you believe, and he gives you his righteousness. Therefore, it's his righteousness that you have been given. Therefore, it makes no sense to say we can work for our salvation because it's not even our works that save us anyways. It's Christ's work on the cross that saves us in his perfect life that has been given to us. And so we saw that in verse 24. And so um, there, there, I think there will be a little bit, I'll reference this again later, the, the tension between that, between what Peter is saying, as in uh, that you may obtain a blessing. He's Again, he's not saying you work uh, for the blessing. And then the second thing I want you to see that Peter is not saying is uh, he is not promising a peaceful life with no suffering or at, uh, what we think of as a good life. He says, the, he says that you will obtain a blessing. And then the very next verse, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his time from evil. And so our minds go to, okay, we'll have a nice comfortable life. We'll have, uh, enjoy, we'll have enjoyment and we'll just kind of live freely. We'll have nice cars, whatever. And of course, that's um, a prosperity gospel that is heresy. It's, uh, if you, uh, just a, a reading through, even, I mean, think about First Peter. Or th- you think about our le- the letter we have. Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering. So there would be no point to think that when he's saying that you may obtain a blessing and you'll love life and see good days, that he's referring to material outward blessings. That's just not, you won't find that as the case in Scripture throughout all, even Jesus, going from Jesus himself to all his disciples and, on, and onward. There are trials and, uh, and sufferings in this life for Christians and non-Christians alike because it's a sinful and fallen world. But I do want you to see that Peter is not saying that um, we will have this great, uh, glorious life. He's not reassuring these suffering Christians, hey, it's going to get better, you're going to have a great life, yada, 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 because you have been saved. And no, that's not, that's not the case. He's actually, remember we've talked about already, he's encouraging them with a future hope. But again, there is a, there is a thing about this life that we can enjoy and again, that comes a little later. But I, want to make it, I want to make it clear that the blessing is not a life of ease and material or external bless, blessings, rather spiritual. So the blessing is a spiritual, internal blessing, here and now. And a great inheritance to come for those who are in Christ, which is undefiled, unfading, kept in, uh, kept in heaven for you by God himself. And we saw that in uh, chapter 1. There's a great blessing, a great inheritance in store. But here and now, the blessing that Peter is referring to is a, uh, can also be a here and now thing, but it's a spiritual thing. It's an internal thing. It's eternal, uh, and again, in the future, it's eternal joy, peace, and comfort. But even now, you can have, and he's telling these suffering Christians, you can have joy, peace, and comfort now in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering. And so he's t- reminding them to set up their hope on these things. So now I want to tell you what is Peter actually saying. So I think in, in, this, fir- in this first, um, my first point, I want to say Peter is giving us instruction, giving us and, the, and the, his audience that he was writing to, the suffering Christians, 
and those in here who are suffering with many different things, and also, like I said, the struggling with sin and temptation. He wants to give us and them instruction so that we can love life and see good days. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, and he's telling you, he's telling us how to do this. He's giving us instruction on how to do this. And if we think about it, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to love life and see good days? The world wants that, certainly, and so do Christians. We want to love life and see good days. That's a universal concept. It's a universal idea. Everyone is trying to seek joy and happiness and enjoy life and um, you know, YOLO, you only live once, so enjoy it and you know, live it up. Make a lot of money, buy a lot of stuff, do all those things. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. And also, not everyone reaches this goal. And, and I would argue only, only Christians reach this goal. You cannot enjoy life as an unbeliever. To the, to the potential it was meant to be enjoyed. We were created to, to, uh, to uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that is how God has designed it to be. And therefore, if you're outside of that, then you are not experiencing life to the fullest. But not everyone reaches this goal, like I said, because it comes through God and nowhere else. Everyone is after this goal, but looking to themselves and the created things rather than the creator. And Romans 1 says, we have exchanged all man, all of men have exchanged the glory of God, or have, have, have uh, exchanged the, the image of, or have, have preferred creation rather than the creator. So the creator has given us gifts to reflect his glory and to, to give himself praise. We see his gifts that he's given us, trees, breath, uh, air, food, that to, to um, bring out worship in ourselves for him. And yet we have chosen rather to worship and enjoy the things rather than who has given them to us. And this is a mistake that we have all, we have all made. And so we have done this thing, and you know, you hear it all the time. Uh, if you ask anyone why they think they're going to get to heaven, or um, how do you live a good life? Oh, I'm, I'm a good person. We've all heard, I'm a good person. You know, or uh, I'm more good than bad. And they think that that is how we can reach this blessing. That's how we can reach the eternal blessing, that's how we can have good life here and now. And Peter wants to give us instruction so that we really can love life and see good days. And so it's, an, uh, it's a great thing to want and to desire, and Peter is giving us, um, telling us how to do that. So number one, the first thing, the first of, I don't know, two or something, the first thing that uh, Peter instructs us with, and uh, this starts with fearing God. It sounds like, okay. This starts, uh, in order to love life and see good days, this starts with fearing God. And so in, in our text for tonight, verses 10 through 12 are a quotation of Psalm 34. So if you want to flip to Psalm 34, we can see a lot more clearly this uh, fearing, the, the fear of the, uh, fearing God. This is the beginning of, of loving life and seeing good days in Peter, what Peter's talking about. And so in Psalm 34, starting in verse uh, 4, we'll start in verse 4. So this is David. Now, David was a man who was on the, constantly on the run from King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him um, because he was jealous, and David was a better king than he was and all those things. But David constantly in the Psalms, 
is rejoicing and thanking God for deliverance through suffering. And this is why Peter mentions, he quotes him here. Because he's talking about suffering Christians. And so in verse 4, we see David saying, I sought the Lord. Think about the, the suffering and the persecution that David is experiencing. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why we sung that song tonight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And here we are, as specific specific as it gets. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And here it is. Here's where we get into the quotation that Peter uses. He says, Come, O children, listen to me. Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then immediately, so you think, okay, he's not talking to us how we can love life and see good days. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? So he's asking the question, what man doesn't want that? How do we do this? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. This is almost a direct quote. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So back in 1 Peter, we see this quote exactly. It says, That you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we see that, and we saw specifically in Psalm 34 that it started with fear. So, so what is fear? What is fe- why, so why does that have anything to do with loving life and seeing good days? What is, what is fear of, God, of the Lord but hearing all his wise commands and his instructions for living and obeying them? And when I say fear, I mean a respect, an honor, and a reverence for God. And so that is the, the, when, the, when the Bible talks about wisdom, how do we get wisdom? The first thing in wisdom is fear the Lord. And we think, well, and, and, and since we see it's respect and honor and reverence, it's a reverence for God, we think of, it's a, no, it's a no-brainer that, Christ, that a Christian, and oftentimes, in the Old Testament especially, it was a very um, great and uh, like a, a very good characteristic to be known as the guy, a guy who feared the Lord. So-and-so feared the Lord. And what they mean by that is they respected, they honored the Lord. They, had, uh, they, they, they uh, honored him. 
And so we think about that today and think about how you're living your life and saying, okay, I fear God. I'm a Christian. I fear God. But think about how you're living. And so if God commands something to happen and you know who God is, you know he's a just God, you know he's a jealous God and he will not share his glory with another and he commands something to be done and you don't do it. So how is that fearing God? Think about if your parents were to instruct you on something. If you want to honor your parents, you'll obey what they've told you. If you want to dishonor your parents, you will not do what they told you to do. And so what Peter is saying here is he's saying, look, here's instruction. Do not do this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling when you are suffering. The world says this, that's kind of you know, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But, but now it's not, it's, not this, it's not that. It's don't repay evil for evil. If someone does evil to you, a wicked thing to you, do not repay evil for evil. But instead, not even just don't do that and keep silent, but bless. Bless them. Pray for them. And so when Peter gives us instruction, who desires to love life and see good days, let him do these things. And again, we have to keep in mind, and we'll come back to it again and again, this is not, okay, I've got to do this in order to get the blessing. We've realized already that the, that, uh, well, we'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. When we disobey God, we are showing that we don't fear him. He, we know, when, we, when we, first off, we know who God is, and we know that he's a just judge, and he will by no means clear the guilty in, in our verse in verse 12. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So when we know that, and we say, yeah, I fear God, but you don't care for to obey his commands, you don't respect him enough to uh, obey, then you are lying. You do not fear God. And it's wise to fear God. It's wise to obey commands. And Peter is, one, Peter is giving us instruction on wise living. So Peter and David are saying, in order to love life and see good days, we must live wisely. We must live according to God's commands. Which is to fear God and obey, or fear God, which is obeying and honoring God. Live as he has commanded. And then in our verses tonight, uh, in 11, let him, the guy who wants the blessing, who wants to, uh, who is, uh, let him turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. This is instruction. This is, he's giving us instruction on living wisely. The wise man heeds the instruction of God and seeks to please God rather than man. So that's important, especially in the context of this suffering. We, David especially, David feared God over fearing man. And we'll see that more when I pull, um, there's, there's some uh, in the very, actually it's in this. The wise man heeds the instruction of God and seeks to please God rather than man. Or themselves. They don't seek to please themselves. They don't seek to please other men. They seek to please God because they fear God and they honor God and they respect God because he is judge of all things. So I mentioned David, uh, David and Saul earlier. In 1 Samuel 24, we don't have to go there, but we see a perfect example of a man who fears God and who, and who does these things, who doesn't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling or so to speak, all those things. Because David was being pursued, I mentioned it earlier, David was being pursued by Saul. Saul was trying to kill him, he was jealous of him. And there were two occasions that David could have killed Saul, could have killed the guy who was uh, chasing after him, trying to kill him. Two occasions. One was in a dark cave, and what did David do? He, he, 
he cut a piece of his, of his robe or his cloak or whatever it was. He cut a piece of his thing. And then when Saul was outside the cave, he, he called to him. And, and Saul knew it was David. And basically saying, I could have killed you right now, but I... But he, and then uh, Saul realized, you are a righteous man, David, for not doing such a thing. Blessed are you, he says. Blessed are you for not, for not being a... Because uh, he realized, that he knows the law, he knows those things. He realizes that... David was uh, honoring God. And then there was, another, there was another occasion David could have killed him again. He went into his camp while he was asleep and just took his helmet and his spear. And then again, the same thing happened. He called out to him and Saul was like, this guy, I'm, trying, I'm seeking to kill this guy. And he is, rather than killing me when he has the chance, he's letting me live. And so we see that uh, in David. And of course, that's why you know, we went to Psalm 34 also because he talks about that. But so it starts with the fear starts with fearing God. But the key to this blessing, the key to the blessing of this life and the next. So again, we're talking about a blessing here and now. When he mentions it in verse 9, that you may obtain a blessing. Some scholars think are, are thinking only futuristic in here because they're suffering Christians. So it's it, you can understand why they would say that. But I, I think verse 12 is key to understanding that it is this life and the next, that are, that are blessed. And you think, how can it be blessed uh, experience, while you're experiencing all this suffering and these trials? And here's how, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we see the Lord looks over all of his creation. This doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't see the evil. We see that his face is against those who do evil. The Lord sees all. He's looking, he's looking over all of his creation and sees all things. But the point Peter is making is God takes special care for the righteous. He hears their prayer. He hears their cries. He answers their cries. We saw that again in Psalm 34 when David said, This poor man cried during all of my trial, all of my suffering, and the Lord heard me. Because David feared God, he respected and honored God, and he obeyed his commands. And he did not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. This is the blessing here and now. And this, this is a big, a big verse, because this, I think, is the key to the blessing. And this is the thing that we have been called to in, in, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the trials and the temptations to sin and the struggle with the warfare of our flesh. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. So when you're going through this, the, the suffering, whether it's physical or spiritual, whatever the case may be, the spectrum is all covered. The blessing is being able to lean on God and to be able to, uh, and, 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 then when the, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago also because the, it's, it's pretty parallel to verses 19 through 25. Peter's talking, and we, we had, uh, one of my points in that message was Suffering causes us to lean into God, causes us to lean on him. I quoted this, the Spurgeon quote. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. The waves of suffering slam us back, cause us to rely back on God. Paul talks about this in the thorn that he's given in the flesh. There's a thorn he's given. And he's saying, this thorn has caused me to be weak. And so therefore, when I am weak, Christ is magnified. Christ is glorified. So I boast in my weakness. I boast in the suffering. I boast in 
the trials of the Christian life because in those sufferings, we are forced to rely on God. We are forced to lean on God. And this is where the peace comes in because when we rely on God, his ears are open to our prayer and he answers us. He comforts us. We saw that in Psalm 34. He comforts those. He rescues them out of all their trials. And if you ask anybody who's been a Christian for a long time, they'll tell you that the greatest, uh, the greatest, um, the, the greatest, the times where they've been experienced God and enjoyed God the most are through what? Are they through great times? No, they're through suffering. They're through trials. That is when you grow the most in your sanctification. And anyone will tell you that. So, and there's there's a commercial um, on the good life, and this is and this is this is what I mean by this. So. I'm going, to, I'm going to go back again to this, this blessing that you do attain. What is the blessing? It's not material. It's more internal. There's, uh, think of the commercial. Think of culture nowadays and what they say is the good life. I've already kind of mentioned a little bit, but this is a good picture. So you see the commercial, all these commer- all the, like a beer commercial, and they're, they're all trying to show you the, how great it is or whatever. And you have a beer commercial, and these guys are kicked back on the beach. They're enjoying uh, a cup. It could be anything. I don't know why I said beer, but it could be anything. But they're kicked back, they're enjoying life, they're relaxing, feet up, I guess the sand. And say, what can be better than this? And in the Bible, what is the good life? The good life is Paul and Silas, after being beaten with rods, drug into prison, you think, that's not very good, and they're singing and worshiping God. Why? That is the good life. That is the biblical good life. That is the true, genuine, again, when I remember, remember what I said, a Christian can really experience true joy. True joy is being in a situation like that and thinking and singing psalms and spiritual songs. That's what Paul and Silas were doing in prison. In the midst of prison, after, their backs all bloody from being beaten. Their feet are in stocks. They're held captive and they're singing and rejoicing and praising God. That is a joy that is foreign to this culture. And that is a joy that lasts because not only is it, enjoy, not is it, not only is it joyous here and now, and you can rejoice in a tough situation like that. You have hope for the future. That's the whole point of the joy that we have now or the blessing that Peter refers to here and now. And the reason that happens is because of verse 12. We have a God who's, we have a, uh, the Lord's eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. So when they're in these trials, they have a sure foundation, a rock to go to, a safe place, a refuge, uh, Psalm 34 said. And so we see this is, why, this is the real good life. It's not what culture says. It's a joy and a foundation in God. You can rest in God, find joy, peace, and comfort in God. And even Romans 5, we don't have to go there, we don't have time. But Romans 5 talks about having peace with God. Peace with God. The sharp contrast in verse 12 is the one who does evil. The one who does evil will not see good days, no matter how many material blessings they have. And why is that? Because the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. They receive the curse rather than the blessing discomfort here and now doesn't matter what kind of house what kind of car it's discomfort here 
If you're not at peace with God, you're not at peace. If God, if you don't love God and God doesn't love you, then there's not peace. You don't have peace, you don't have, you don't know love. By this we know love, that he sent his son to die on the cross. This is how we know love. Therefore, if you don't know his son who died on the cross, you don't know love. They experience discomfort here and now. But it's a, du- it's a double punishment. It's a double blessing for us here and, that, here and in the future. And it's a double curse for now for them who are evil and who are not righteous, who, are not, who have not uh, believed on the Lord and have received his righteousness. It's discomfort here and now and eternal judgment and wrath forever. So there's a dilemma. There's a dilemma here. In verse 12 specifically, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and he hears and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What's the dilemma? There is none righteous. No, not one. So does that mean the face of the Lord is against every single person? Yeah. We are rebellious. No one is righteous. There are none who are righteous. No one seeks after God. No, not one. Everyone is evil. So, so is Peter demanding something that we cannot achieve, that no one can achieve? He's saying, here's a blessing, and just hanging it out here, but you really can't achieve it? Of course not. Where is the hope of blessing? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The double imputation. He takes our sin. He lives a perfect life, takes our sin, And for those who believe, he gives them his righteousness. He pays for their sin and gives them his righteousness. This is Christ's righteousness. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Otherwise, the eyes of the Lord are on Christ and Christ alone. It's only by his righteousness that this passage is accounted to us and that the Lord would hear our prayers. If you're outside of Christ, the Lord does not hear your prayer. In fact, the face of the Lord is against you. And this is where the in Christ uh, aspect of Scripture comes in. It's all over Paul's writings. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We have been saved. We are in Christ. And that's the aspect of being in Christ because it's Christ's righteousness. Therefore, when we believe in him by faith that he lived, died, rose again, and gave us his righteousness, when we believe in him, we are in Christ. Therefore, when it says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, or the eyes of the Lord are on Christ, we are in Christ. Therefore, we are granted the blessing. We receive the blessing and not the curse. And in fact, Christ receives the curse. Christ lives a perfect life. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. Christ lives a perfect life. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 22 of chapter 2. Yet the Lord looked against his, the Lord put his face against him. So that we might live, we might have eternal life through Christ, who raised from the dead and conquered sin. Christ has given us his righteousness. He was the blessed man who did not revile. 
or repay evil. Again, this is all in uh, chapter 2. He sought peace, and he pursued peace for us. He took our curse and experienced the face of the Lord against him. We receive blessing by faith. He receives the cursing. But praise God, he was raised against new life. Now we can live, and this is, where, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is how we can do these things. And this is why, again, it goes back to not, this is not saying you work to attain the blessing. Because it's Christ's righteousness that we have. Now, now that we have by faith believed in Christ and have, have received his righteousness, now we can live as righteous, redeemed children. Because of Christ. Christ has died bearing our sin and shame. And we are now called, and now here's, the, here's, the, here's where the command comes in, and here's where we can fulfill these commands. We can now, because of Christ, not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And we can bless instead of uh, dishonor. We can keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. We can turn away from evil and we can do good. We can seek peace and pursue it because we have Eternal peace in Christ. And we are now called, and in First Peter and all over the Bible, we are now called as Christians. As Christians. It's not works, it's not doing this to attain this. It's we are saved, justified, will be glorified, and now we live for Christ because Christ has paid for, for that. We are now called as Christians to die to self and this world, because we are in Christ. And he, so, so Christ died, now we're, now since we're in Christ, we are commanded to die, die to self, die to this world. And Christ also was raised again to new life. And so now we, since we are in him, are now called to rise again to new life, and newness of life, living for God and for his glory and for our joy. Live righteous, obedient lives, fearing God. until we reach the full consummation in eternity. And this is all possible because we are in Christ by faith. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So closing exhortations. Remain silent during unjust suffering. Do not repay evil for evil. You serve a just God who says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. For the, realize that the unjust treatment that you experience has either been paid for already on the cross or it will be paid for in eternity. And cause that reality, the reality that that wrong done to you by an unbeliever, realize that that is what he's in store for him. He realize what is in store for that person and seek their salvation. And seek, pray for them because you realize what is in store for them. Either, either, Christ, either their sin, the sin that was done to you is either paid for on the, cro- on the cross or it will be paid for eternity in hell, in eternity in hell for them. They will be paying for it themselves. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So be silent, during unjust suffering. Next, next thing, lean on the Lord through tough and trying times. 
Seek his face in prayer. And seek his face in prayer and through his word. We see that. His ears are open to their prayer. This is the blessing. This is the blessing. You have a comfort. You have a high priest who is sympathizing with us. God is the only source of true comfort and blessing. Third, fear the Lord always rather than man. Honor him and obey his commands. Fourth, pray and bless those who persecute you. Return good for evil. And you may perhaps save some. And so you think, there's, there's, a, there's a, an amazing thing that happens when someone treats you wrongly and they're expecting a reviling response. They're expecting to return evil. There's an amazing thing that happens when you return good and blessing to them. It pricks them, the Bible says. It heaps burning coals on their head, it says. They think, what is up with that guy? Why would he do such a thing? That's why in, in chapter, in, uh, later on in chapter 3 or 4, Peter, or no, in chapter 3, we'll get to it in a couple weeks. He says, uh, live in such, he's telling them to live in such a way that when people ask you for the hope that is in you, people have to see you living a certain way in order to come up to you and say, I just don't get it. What is it with you? What's your hope? What's your hope? Think about these Christians. The Christians that are experiencing, again, the suffering is universal, but think about the, the Christians that Paul's writing to, or Peter's writing to, who are suffering physical suffering, or brothers and sisters around the world today who are suffering that. And imagine their, their, their response of blessing rather than cursing or evil. What is with it? What is with you guys? What's the hope? I gotta know. That's what happened when Paul and Silas were in prison. They were singing and rejoicing, and the, 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 the uh, jailer was converted. He thought, what is with these guys? And think, uh, think St- Stephen. Stephen was the first um, Christian martyr yeah, after Jesus, of course. And think about Stephen when he's getting stoned. And what, is he, what, is he, uh, what does he say to them in, in Acts? Let me uh, flip there really quick. He's being stoned uh, at, the, at the feet of a young man named Saul. He says, this is what he says then, and this is what our command is in, in 1 Peter. He's being stoned, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What's, what's his hope? And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or he died. And, and, and what happened? Lord, don't hold this against them. What happened? The young man who, were, who was watching over the clothes and Uh, approving of the stoning, saw what happened. The Lord opened his eyes, and he was an amazing missionary. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Think about Jesus on the cross, or or before he's on the cross, being flogged by the Roman soldiers. Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Pray, and bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. Urge them of the wrath to come. And lastly, 
Always, always, always look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who has suffered and been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Who is always living. He's living to make intercession for the saints. He's living to make intercession for those who believe. Always at the right hand of the Father, interceding for them. Who sympathizes with us in our weakness. For he himself became man. And he is able now to sympathize with us. And who has, who has paid the price for our eternal joy. Look to Jesus. He is our great high priest who can sympathize with us and has become like we are, yet without sin. Let's pray. Lord, what a humbling thing that your son has lived the blessed life And has given it to those who believe in him. And he himself has taken on the curse. The curse that we deserve. I pray Lord that we would realize this amazing gift. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today will be the day we die to self and live to righteousness. Help us, Lord, as we go to live in the fear of the Lord, honoring you, worshiping you, giving our lives for you, being so distinct and different from the world. Oh, we need your help. Oh, we need your help. Thank you for Christ's righteousness. Thank you for freeing us from the bonds of sin and shame. Thank you for our blessing now, the comfort we have now. And what no eye has seen nor ear has heard, the things in store for those who love you. In eternity, when we see you face to face and become as you are and enjoy you forever, enjoy, cherish, love, worship, and adore you for eternity. Oh, how sweet it will be. Help us, Lord. Convict hearts, transform lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.